Hey everybody, welcome to episode three of the F-Sharp podcast. In this episode, Tanner and I discuss the five things to look for when it comes to selecting a financial advisor. This applies to whether you have one currently or maybe you don't have one uh, and are looking for a financial advisor. If you haven't done so already, please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. A lot of information in this episode. We hope you enjoy it. To the F Sharp Podcast, presented by Harmony Wealth, a podcast geared to educate you on all things financial. Co-hosts Tanner Bortnam and Adam Henning discuss various financial topics presented in a consumable and entertaining manner. Tanner is a certified financial planner, JD, and financial expert, while Adam is a marketing professional and small business owner. It's time to harmonize. Sit back and enjoy the episode. Your future self will thank you. Hey everybody! Welcome to another episode. Tanner, how we doing? Doing just peachy. How are you? I'm doing great. Any any plans for the weekend? Um, I'm trying to think. I think just enjoying the weather. It's starting to cool down a little bit here in Phoenix, and watching some football. Watching my Kansas City Chiefs to another victory. Hopefully, how often do you get outside? I mean. And living down downtown Phoenix, I mean, how often do you get outside? I mean, regularly. I mean, again, it's you know in the middle of summer, it's super hot, and so you don't want to. But I guess at the same time, I'll go golf. Yeah, I'll golf in the middle of summer. Once it hits about one o eight, that's my cutoff. That gets too hot, but anything under that, I'll golf. <laughs> I see you just staring at me. Yeah, laughing. I, oh, I get it. That, that seems really hot for people, but you know, it's a dry heat. Content. It's a dry heat. Yeah, right, right. And, and that's what everybody says. It's dry heat. I mean, it's still hot. Like, let's be honest. If you haven't been to Phoenix, it's still hot. No one's saying it's not hot. It's just, it's just different. You know, like if you're in the Midwest or if you're, you know, in the South and you have that humidity, yeah, you don't reach the temps we do, but you walk outside and you feel like you need to take a bath you know, or a shower 10 minutes after you've been outside because you just started sweating everywhere. So we don't really get that. It is, it's hot. You can still do stuff, but I just view it as a reverse, you know, coming from the Midwest, um, I view it as a reverse of winter. You don't want to do a bunch of stuff outside for the three months of summer, but the rest of the year is beautiful rather than you don't want to do stuff in the three months of winter in the Midwest because it's cold. So We'll come back to the winter thing. What's it like to have Patrick Mahomes as your favorite team's quarterback? Oh, oh, it is glorious. It's glorious. It's uh, let's see. What is this? His fourth actual playing year, fifth year in the league. Um, <sighs> okay. Next, it was, next topic. Uh, we don't, no, we don't no, 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 no. It, it was a, I just gotta say 32 years in being in existence. It, it was a rough first 27 of them. So um, as a Vikings fan, I know you can relate. Um, 
no, there no. wasn't a lot of winning. You can't relate to anything that I deal with. Well, not now because we won Super Bowl, but prior to that, we were probably okay. both in the realm of just heartbreak central. Most Vikings fans, I'm a millennial, born in 89. I'll make this quick. Went to four Super Bowls before I was born. Just think if they would have won like two, they'd be awesome. And then uh, Randy Moss's rookie year, 98, that's three. Oh, uh, nine with five, that's four. And then even that, we'll just cut it off that four Super Bowls. We wouldn't be looked down yeah. upon. Uh, no, I, I get that. I get that. But I mean, they're like anyone. I mean, the, the Bills went four years in a row. They could have won four or you know, yeah, they could have none like they did. So, I mean, anybody can say that. Everybody's got heartbreak. Oh, I mean, the Chiefs up. have. Hey, the Vikings would have beat the Chiefs in Super Bowl four. Is that four? Four, right? Yeah, it was four. But no, you wouldn't have. We. I'm pretty. I was clearly oh, not alive either. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, no, I was not alive. But um, I, I don't think the score was all that close. That was Hank Strand with matriculate the ball down the field. Just keep matriculating it down the field and we'll be world champs. Oh, man. Yeah, I feel like it's going to be another long season for the Vikings and another really good one for the Chiefs. Sadly. They stay healthy. Yep. If they stay but healthy, they Mahomes is super likable. I like him. He's really good. So, yeah. Yeah. Seems like a good guy. Good for but. you. Thanks, good man. Good for Thanks. you. Eventually, you'll move today? on from Kirk Cousins and hopefully you can join the good side. <laughs> Um, what are we talking about today? Today's podcast is on the top five things to look for in a financial advisor. So this is for, um, uh, really anyone out there. I mean, I, I, I make sure you listen to this regardless. If you, um, don't have a financial advisor or are looking to get one in the future or in the near term, Hey, here's the top five things, you know, that I think you should look for. Um, or if you currently have a financial advisor, I still think this is a valuable podcast. Make sure that you're getting these five things, uh, you know, or if at least four of them, you know, your choice, whether you choose to ignore one of them, obviously it's every, anybody's choice, make their own decisions. But, um, you know, if, yeah, like I said, if you have your own advisor, make sure, make sure you're getting these things uh, um, out of that person so that you know that you're getting taken care of. So that is today's episode. All right. Um, so first thing before we get into the list, I, I not looking for an exact number, but how many people, how many Americans would seek out a financial advisor or how many solicit a, a financial advisor who would need this um, list? I, I don't know exact numbers on that. Um, you mean like how, how many people theoretically, how many people should listen to this podcast or like I mean, all Americans who, yeah, who should have. One? Oh, um, well, really, in my opinion, again, I will admit bias because there's no smoke and mirrors here. So I will admit bias. I think everyone, um, you know, I do this as a career. I do this as a job. I know that there are people out there that want to do it on their own. They save some expenses. I personally think that that's silly. Um, we don't, we aren't our own doctors. We aren't our own, you know, dentists. We aren't our own. Most people aren't their own mechanics, you know, different things like that. Um, 
but it's but but it's something that you know there are there are people out there that are just going to do it on their own so that that's a certain sector of people tend to be younger um when you don't have as much amassed and if you lose it all there's you know it's not it's not as detrimental so to speak which i actually think is is the wrong way to think about it because time is money so the more you can build up at a younger age um, actually the better off you are in the future so young people should look for a financial advisor as well um, so realistically it's anybody that's working uh, all the way through retirement um, you know I, I I think every person deserves a, a good financial advisor I think every person deserves a good financial plan so However many much percent of the United States that is from age, you know, we'll just say easy math, 20 and up, um, you know, even 18 and up if you're working. So most, uh, a very, very vast majority of of the population, um, you know, should be working with someone. So this isn't a part of your list, but right. How do mm, how do most people go about finding or searching a financial advisor and, mm-hmm. or what do you think should be um, the way or the avenues that people seek out? Sure. Um, I think from what I see there, there's kind of two, two to three main ways that people um, find financial advisors. Um the first is, you know, they'll get invited to some seminar or some what's considered an educational class or, or something like that. And, and it's, you know, a person, you know, supposedly putting on this for free to educate them. Um, but there's always an expectation of them becoming a client afterwards. Um, that uh, I know is pretty prevalent of people finding their advisors that way. Um the other uh, two ways would be, you know, a lot of, with the internet. Um, that's obviously really prevalent. Someone just Googling, um, you know, financial advisors in my area. Um, a third way would be, you know, referrals, asking their friends who they work with and then getting a referral from them. And, and then I guess adding in a fourth way would be a lot of people, um, We'll just like utilize their bank. They'll just do it as a default and be like, oh, I bank here. So do you guys have some person that can, you know, manage my money as well? And and again, all of the I I I guess I'd say those are the four things. And and in a vacuum, none of those are actually wrong. None of those are bad. You you can find a great advisor at any of those, any of those possibilities. Um, there are great advisors that work at banks, there are great advisors that give seminars. There are great advisors that are independent. You know, it's like anything there's great advisors and there's bad advisors. There's, you know, great pick your, you know, job. There's great at them and there's bad at them in every profession. And the the doctor that finished last in his class. Exactly. They're still a doctor and they actually, they still might, they might be a great doctor just because, you know, I'm not totally with Elon Musk on the education doesn't mean anything, but I do think he has a valid point when he says, just because you have a degree doesn't mean you are smart. And this is coming from me who, you know, one of my value adds to my clients is I have way more degrees than most financial advisors. So just because you have a degree doesn't 
automatically equal that you are smart. You have to have the degree and be smart. So, um, you know, and we're going to kind of break into a lot of that in, in these, you know, top five things, but the key is not how you find the advisor. I would say the part that's the most lacking is, is what people do is they'll go through one of those four channels and they'll just get someone's name and be like, okay, you, you, we're going with you. And, and that is the part that needs to stop. Um, you know, this is your money. This is your future. If, if an advisor messes it up, it's not their future that's ruined. It's your future that's ruined. You have to work an extra five years or whatever. It, so take time and, you know, please, you know, write down these five things or listen to this podcast however many times you need to. These are five really, really, really important things that I think you should look for in a financial advisor to make sure that you're getting the best probability because there is no guarantees in life, but it will give you the best probability at having a successful retirement. I've got tons of questions. I think I'm going to save them until after I want to get to the list. Um, I think that's great. Okay, Uh, cool. And uh, we let's just start with your with your first one. Um, Yeah. Uh, So the first thing, um, kind of the easiest thing is trying to determine, are they a salesperson or are they an advisor? Now, I say that it's easy and I probably should back up because it, it it's more difficult than, than just their title. Um, you know, the financial industry is riddled with titles and for whatever reason, there is no regulation on what you can call yourself except for a certified financial planner. So I have that designation. And unless you have passed that test and done all of the requirements for it, you cannot call yourself that. But, you know, I have seen plenty of financial people, salespeople call themselves financial advisors, call themselves wealth managers, call themselves financial experts, financial educators, the list goes on and on. What are the, what's the difference between those? Or specifically just talk about what, certified financial planner is sure sure so certified financial planner is a it's the one of the pinnacle designations one of the top designations showing your level of expertise in financial planning and there is a certified financial planner board that sets the requirements and make sure you go through all the education and knowledge training and um, hours, there was an hour requirement that you had to work. Uh, I think it equated to like three years roughly of, of full-time work, um, plus a uh, knowledge base that you had to pass, and then a final comprehensive exam. Um, well, and, and actually a capstone class first where you do a full financial plan that gets reviewed by them, and then a, um, a final exam that was the second hardest exam I've taken in my life. I mean, passing the bar was the hardest, obviously, but the, the CFP exam was, was very difficult. And then there's continuing education with it. And so the, the CFP board oversees all of this. They oversee the people trying to get it. They oversee the exam. And then they oversee once you become a, a CFP, you're held to a fiduciary standard. You have X amount of hours of continuing education every two years that you're required to get, you know, they, they, they check in on your ethics. Like they, 
constantly are watching this. So that is what a certified financial planner is. And there are other designations out there, but those are going to be the letters that come behind someone's name. And we could do another podcast on the alphabet soup that comes behind people's names. Um, maybe we jump into that a little bit more in, in point number three. Um, but the difference between financial planner and wealth advisor and wealth planner and wealth manager and financial expert, financial educator is nothing or, or everything. We don't know. That, that's the part. You have to dig deep to, you know, dig a little deeper to find out and find out, you know, and as we go through this, now points two, three, four, and five help you, you know, be prepared to ask the right questions to find out number one of, are they more a salesperson or are they an advisor? Um, but, you know, I could call myself a financial expert. I could call myself a financial educator. I could call myself a financial advisor. I could call myself a wealth advisor. Like it, those are just words. Um, and unfortunately, there's not really regulation on that. You just have to have a, you have to have passed one of a series of multitude of, of tests to sort of be in the financial industry. I mean, you could be an insurance agent and have only passed the insurance industry um, exam yet call yourself a financial expert. I've seen that. And then all those people can do is sell insurance and annuities, yet they call themselves a financial expert. And that sounds really, that sounds really great, right? I'd take advice from a financial expert. That sounds awesome. But they aren't because they've only passed one exam. They haven't, they haven't passed the other exams to be able to, you know, sell mutual funds or ETFs or regular stocks. They're, they're not even at that level. They're not, they're not even close to being a CFP or you know, a law degree or anything like that. So that part is, you know, part again, keep listening because parts two, three, four, and five are going to help build upon. But the, the key to this is, are they a salesperson or are they an advisor? And salespeople earn commissions. And this is the key to point number one. Salespeople earn commissions. So that's a very simple question. Do you earn commissions? They have to answer that. They lie to you. Uh, that's no bueno. Um, and they're, you know, they can get in trouble for that. So they have to answer that honestly. Um, do they earn commissions on any of their products? And if they do, that is a conflict. Because if, if you know, for example, Adam, if I'm, if I would earn commissions and there is, option A, which I make 10 bucks on or option B that I make 15 bucks on. And they're both nah, within a, you know, they're both fine for you. Well, obviously there's a conflict of interest because option A might be slightly better, but option B makes me more money. So there's a conflict there. And again, not that all advisors are going to choose option B they may do what's in your best interest and choose option A, but it doesn't mean the conflict of interest isn't there. That means they have to overcome that every single time. And like at my company, we eliminated that. We don't earn commissions. There is none. So for to use that same example, we have same option A and same option B. Neither of them give me a commission because I get paid on the advice I give you. Well, option A is better for you. Okay, we're going with option A because it doesn't matter to me what matters to me is what's best for you. That's so what, what are, you're trying. 
So oh, how many ahead. how many times the when you say products, mm-hmm. what what are those products? What are what are option A or B? I mean, there's sure. probably a ton, but right. It, I mean, it could be anything. It could be stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, annuities, uh, insurance. Um, there, there's getting more. Yeah, I mean, there there's even um, uh, no fee, no commission insurance. Um, so even just regular life insurance, you know, people out, um, life insurance agents out there, there is commission free life insurance. So again, why would you pay more money? Cause the company is going to charge you the same. So if you want a life insurance premium or, or a policy and your premium is going to be a hundred bucks, well, if they have to pay an advisor, they're going to just you're paying for that. They're not paying for that. So your premiums are going to go to 110, whereas you could get the exact same policy that's commission free for the hundred. That's like, there's no reason that people should do that. Um, to me, there's really no reason anyone should pay a commission. Um, uh, but it, the financial industry, we need to think of this. It's like the Titanic. It is a gigantic behemoth that moves very slowly. And the industry is slowly moving more away from commissions, but it it's slow. It's slow. And the only way to speed it up is you. It's you, the listeners, going to places and going to advisors that don't get commissions that are what are called fee only. Now, that's a big caveat, and, and we'll hit that on, on point number five, so I'm going to kind of save that. Um, but that's that's part number one. Find out, are they a salesperson? Or are they an advisor? Do they get paid for the advice they give you? Or do they get paid for selling you a product? That's part number one. Is that the most important or since it's first? Or is that the, how do you, how are we approaching this list? One through five is. <laughs> that That's a tough question. Um, I actually, I'm going to say no. I think they're all equally important. They all work together. Um, so, you know, as we go through this list, there will be some overlap between things as they, as they all do work together. But I think following all five of these finds you, you know, the perfect advisor. Um, and I shouldn't say that there, you could still find a terrible advisor, but by following all five of these steps, again, as I had mentioned earlier, there is no guarantee in life, but by following all five of these steps, you are significantly lowering your chances of working with a bad advisor and you are significantly increasing your chances of having a successful retirement. When when we're working through this list, are are these tactics or these lists something you've studied beforehand or are these some strategies that you bring into that uh, introductory meeting? How do you decipher a salesperson from a, a, a good advisor? Right. Well, and, and again, I think that you got to listen to the, the rest of the podcast because the just on the service of it going through point number one, uh, a salesperson is going to be someone that earns commissions. They're selling you a product. They're not, they're not advising you. They're just selling you a product versus an advisor is someone that's giving you advice. Um, and as we work through the rest of the list, it will help kind of fill in number one. But that's all pro- five. Most most ahead. of that is going to be you got to get a meeting to, to 
to figure that out. I mean, you're not yeah, going to be able yes. to. Right. Right. Yeah. You want to, you want to sit. And of course you always should have a meeting. I mean, you should never hire an advisor without meeting them. I mean, I don't care how much your friend, relative, neighbor loves their advisor. If has your friend, relative or neighbor gone through this list of five things? I mean, you can still go take a first meeting with that person, but go through this list of five things and see if they do these things. And if they don't, I, I would tell you, keep looking, keep looking until you find someone that fits all five of these. So that's number one. All right. Let's so, do. Yep. So number two is, do they do financial planning? And now there's a quick caveat on that. Um, when I say financial, financial or do they do financial planning? I mean, true financial planning, because I see commercials all over the place of every firm that claims that they do financial planning. I mean, for crying out loud, the credit card companies and like mint.coms and credit karmas of the world claim to do financial planning for you. I, I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Like, putting in your budget and how much money you make and when you want to retire does not equate to financial planning. So let, let's, let's take a step back here and, and, and really just talk about what financial planning is. There are six steps, and this is part of the CFP, the Certified Financial Planning um, criteria and curriculum that you learn um, to become that. There are six pillars, they call them, of financial planning. And they are income, investments, insurance, tax, retirement, and estate planning. Those are the six pillars of financial planning. And so, you know, again, putting in your income and what age you want to retire at is not considered financial planning. And that is what a lot of places are pawning off as financial plans. They'll put in a little bit of info and, and they just spit this out. Um, so the, the key is, is to, and, and again, this one's going to be more difficult because even for me, you know, clients come in, I do comprehensive, true financial planning, but they don't get that until they become a client of mine. You know, I'm not going to spend hours and hours and hours and give someone, you know, the, the secret recipe and then have them say, no, we don't want to be a client of yours. Um, so it, again, that's, that's just something that you want to ask and you want to tease it out. And how do you do that? You know, I'd ask what goes into your financial plan? Do you cover all of these topics? What do you help with in these areas? Um, you know, of, of the six that we listed, um, can we see a, um, you know, a, 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 an example. I have a dummy example. Uh, I created John Doe. You know, what a, what a John and Brilliant. Jane Doe. Mary, yeah, exactly, right? John and Jane Doe is a fake married couple that I, I created. And so I can give clients and say, hey, here's fake people that I just made this stuff up, but here's what it will look like. Here's what we go through, all of these things. And so if, if the financial plan doesn't go through all of six of those things, to me, it's not a real financial plan. And so again, 
I would move on. I would find someone that is going to look at all six of those things because all of them are very important and are part of your financial plan. Give us those six again. Yeah, it is income. Uh, so income planning, investment planning, insurance planning, tax planning, retirement planning, and estate planning. And I will make a small caveat on the end. The estate planning part, don't let your financial advisor do your estate plan unless there's someone like me that's actually an attorney. Um, they just need to make sure that what they are doing from your financial plan side of things fits into the estate plan that you hopefully already have that you did from an actual attorney. How, how many how many are like you that could that could do all that? I mean, how 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 normal is that? Um, it is highly, highly, highly unlikely that most of our listeners will will run into someone um, you know like me that's both an attorney and a uh, financial planner. So, for most people listening, your financial planner should help you um, incorporate the estate plan into your financial plan. And basically that's just making sure that the beneficiaries are set up correctly, you know, things like that, making sure the accounts are titled correctly, but make sure you have an attorney actually drafting your estate plan. Don't do anything less. I know that I'm biased because I'm an attorney. I will state that outright, but please, please, please. A lot of these states, Arizona is one of them. They allow people that are not attorneys to draft documents. And a lot of them I reviewed are train wrecks. So Yes, yes, you pay less, but you pay less for a train wreck that may or may not actually work for you. So then it, you know, most of those are just a waste of money anyway. You don't say. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is sometimes it's the old age old saying you pay what you get for. So. Yep. Wow. How, how is that possible? <laughs> um. Yeah, that could be its own podcast on its own. I, I don't really want to go down that rabbit hole in this one. Uh, that, adds, is, that adds another fiduciary layer, right? That's your attorney, what? or does that not factor into your uh, your advising that you're an attorney? Um, no, I, I I mean, they don't have... So, so my law degree in the, the Arizona Bar Association doesn't have any regulatory authority over me from what I do on a financial side of things, but... Uh, you know, on that side of things, I'm, you know, all attorneys are held to a fiduciary standard. So um, any, any actual estate planning that we do talk about is now held to a, a fiduciary standard by the Arizona Bar Association. Plus the certified financial planner that I am, that holds me to a fiduciary standard. Plus the type of firm that I have or company that I've created is what's called a registered investment advisory that holds me and everybody that works for me to a fiduciary standard. So yeah, there, there's a multitude of different regulatory bodies that look over what I do and hold me to a fiduciary standard. So, um, but again, that that's getting ahead of ourselves to, uh, might as well actually, we'll just swap these. We'll just talk about that one. So, uh, number three, um, point is I think you, you need to make sure that the person you're working with is a fiduciary. Um, and, and for those who don't know what that means is it is a legal requirement for the advisor to put the client's interest ahead of their own. So in other words, 
It's a legal requirement to do what's in the client's best interest. How crazy is that, huh? Weird. I know, right? I mean, that should be that that should be all business, right? I mean, don't most businesses want to put their clients' interests first? Because yeah, that's all good on paper, but how do you how do you how regulate you that? It, right. Yeah. Yep. Exactly. And so that is what the fiduciary standard is. It is a legal requirement, and it is regulated by um, you know, as I stated earlier, if the advisor is a certified financial planner. Um, an attorney, if they are um, a registered investment advisory, their company is an RIA, um, they're held to fiduciary standards and everyone that works for them. Um, and, and, and the crazy part is, is there's a lot of advisors out there that aren't. Now, again, I'm not saying that just because they aren't held to a fiduciary standard that they aren't good advisors. It's just saying that there is no legal ramifications against them if they happen to be a bad actor. So why would you as the investor take that risk? Why would you take that risk? I don't, I don't, I don't understand. Because your friend told you to. I guess. Yeah. And, and you know, are the advisors nice or they've been doing a good job? And, and again, you know, what, when I have this discussion with other advisors and, and we talk about this, you know, some of the advisors I've run into who aren't fiduciaries and I know are great advisors, I ask them, why don't, why don't you just become an RIA or why don't you hold yourselves to a fiduciary standard? And, and they say, well, we, you know, we don't do any of that. And, you know, you know, Tanner, you know, we're good advisors and blah, blah. And I, my response is always, if we know that you're good, which I do think you are, and if you are as good as you say you are, then it should be no problem to be a fiduciary because you wouldn't be doing anything wrong and it wouldn't change your business. So there's no reason not to be a fiduciary. Right? Yeah. So again, mm-hmm. not trying to say that all people who are not fiduciaries are bad actors. That, that's not the, that's not the case. It's just, again, as, as a, you know, as a person trying to find a financial advisor to work with, why would I take on that potential added risk? Now, I, I think that it's very important to work with an advisor who is a fiduciary because they're required to put your interest first. And, and that that's key. That's how it should be. So that's number three. Make sure that you're working with a fiduciary. All right, let's move on to the next point. Yeah. Um, so point number four is what is their education and expertise? Um, now this, again, this is getting more into, as I alluded earlier, that alphabet soup that comes behind everybody's name. And trust me, I got a lot of it behind my name. And if you don't know what any of it is, then that's, you know, that's what it is. It's just alphabet soup, you know, two people. So, um, I guess starting off, some of the key um, alphabet soup, I guess, for lack of a better term, that people should be looking for, um, you know, behind my name, JD, that's Juris Doctor. That means the person's an attorney. Um, CFP, that's Certified Financial Planner. That's one of the pinnacle designations that I think people should look for. CFA, that's another pinnacle designation called a... a um, chartered financial analyst, I believe is what that stands for. Very difficult to get. 
Um, you don't see a lot of them as financial advisors. Those are typically people who work um, a lot more with the numbers, the nitty gritty, um, not as much the people and the planning side of things, but more analyzing um, you know, the stocks on an individual basis, working for mutual fund companies and things like that. Um, you know, I, I would say those are the three prime, you know, premier ones that, that people should look for. Again, there is a litany of other ones that are out there. Um, if you're working with someone, you'll actually go look up what it is, look up what the requirements are to get it. I mean, some of these are, you know, a weekend course that you go to, you know, five hours worth of conferences. And now all of a sudden you get to put three letters behind your name. That doesn't sound like that's too hard, right? Anyone can go do that. So, you know, I, I think, again, I understand that these five requirements are adding more burden to you as the listener, but it's, it's worth your time. I mean, again, this is your money. This is your future. Um, it's so important. It's just like working with a good doctor. You want to work with a good doctor. If we had something wrong with us, we'd go find a specialist, right? We wouldn't just look in the phone book and pick out a doctor and be like, okay, yep, you, let's go with you. So with the education and expertise, do a little research on it. Find out what that you know alphabet soup stands for. Find out how difficult it was to actually get that you know, those letters behind their name, find out what it requires. Cause the cert, you know, the CFP holds me to a fiduciary standard. A lot of the other letters people have behind their names don't, it's just letters behind their names. Um, and then going into the expertise side of things, cause again, as I mentioned earlier, you know, education isn't everything. I have a lot of it, so I'm biased towards it, but I understand it's not everything. I went to law school and I wouldn't say that everybody I went to law school with was a genius. And I wouldn't recommend all of my classmates, you know, to uh, clients of mine, if, if they needed legal representation in different areas. So, you know, you, it, it, it's, but it's a good guide. You know, it's, if they have that education, they've at least passed a certain barrier. Uh, you know, keeping it in the financial world, if they have a CFP, it means they've at least been willing to do a certain level of work and have a certain level of intellect that everybody that doesn't have that either doesn't have the work ethic or doesn't have the intellect to pass it. And that's not saying again, that they can't make a good advisor. It's just, it's harder and you're increasing your chances of failure versus work with a CFP, work with someone that's a JD, work with someone that's a CFA, you know, any of those things, you're just increasing your chances of success. And that's the name of the game. How do I increase my chances of success? Right. Right. So what are, what are some of the gold standards to look for? Is CFP a gold standard to look for? Yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah, financial world, CFP, CFA, um, if you go a couple others, uh, minimum, again, minimum. Oh, well, there is no minimum. That's the other okay. part. Again, I mean, there, there is, I, I don't even know how many, I bet there are 30 plus, and I'm probably guessing low 30 plus financial designations that are out there that are just names. I have no idea what the requirements are. I have no idea what 
continuing education requirements are, fiduciary requirements are. I, I have no idea. They're just, it's, it's a money maker by companies that they say, oh, we have this course. And if you pay us X amount of money, you can put these initials behind your name. And most people don't look them up. So it looks really impressive, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything. Pay to play. Basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of that. Well, and, and I, you know, going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, um, the, a lot of times when you see people that are on like Forbes top 100 list or, oh, I was the top advisor in this area. I get hit up all the time by those marketing companies. And all I would have to do is just pay money. That's it. Pay money and I get included on their list of top advisors. So tell me how that means I'm actually a top advisor. Now, there are a few out there that are research you know, based and, and they do their things, but most of them are just money makers. And that's the same thing with the education and expertise on these designations and the alphabet suit behind people's name is it's just some company that created a designation and they charge people X amount for it. They get to put, you know, blah, blah, blah behind their name. And if people don't look up what it means or the requirements to do it, it looks really impressive and there wasn't a lot of work put into it and the company makes money. And again, at the end of the day, it, you're not better served just because someone has a bunch of letters behind their name. You need to know what those were and how hard it was to go get those or not get those. Last point, last but certainly not least, is this, this I know might be your, your most important point. Yeah. So the last one is uh, really kind of wraps up um, a lot of them actually, and, and definitely brings it back to number one, um, you know, a salesperson versus an advisor. And it's highly, highly recommend working with a company that is what is called fee only. Now there's a couple of caveats here. So I want to make sure I break this down. What, first off, what is fee only? Um, I teased this a little bit earlier. And what fee only is, is it is a company that is paid only by fees. My company is one of these. Um, we are only paid for our advice. Our clients pay a fee for our advice. There's no commissions earned. Um, you know, so there's no conflict of interest. We're always on the side of our clients because again, they're, they're, there's no benefit to us choosing A over B because there's no difference in, in the amount that we're paid. So our goal is always what's in the best interest of the client. Now, again, go figure financial industry, making things interesting. Well, I don't want to say interesting, muddying the water. They allow firms to call themselves fee based. And yeah, exactly. I see you laughing at him. And it is. I mean, it, it, it's just, it's a joke. It's confusing. It is. And that's all that this is. So you have to be diligent on this. They have to be fee only because what fee based means is that some of the time or they have the ability to what charge we you a fee. Well, kind of. Yeah, <laughs> we we have the ability to charge you a fee for our service. But we also still um, make a commission on certain things. Okay, well, that doesn't really help. So you 
get a fee on the things that there is no difference on a commissionable side and the things where there's a very big difference on a commissionable side, which is typically life insurance and annuities, you, you know, you get a commission. So no, 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 no. You don't want fee based either. You want fee only fee only because at my firm and any other's firm, that's fee only, I guess actually that's another avenue of fiduciary standard. If you're fee only, you also are required to be a fiduciary. So there's a fourth layer of fiduciary, um, you know, for my company, but my company or any company that is a fee only company doesn't get paid commissions, whether you're buying stocks, bonds, mutual funds, ETFs, uh, insurance, life insurance, um, annuities, none of it. No so, commissions ever. Right. So obviously there's a reason why it exists. I mean, I'm just trying mm-hmm. to understand the economics. If you want to talk about the economics of sure. it from, yeah, of from your standpoint, because from the, the client standpoint, you know, that sounds great. You're not going to take, if I've got a lot of money that I'm going to bring over to your firm, um, I'm not going to be charged based on commissions. Well, what are your fees? You know, how, how does that make sense for you? Uh, or, or just talk about the, the difference of the, the economics of, of how the fee only came, came to be and how that puts you on the same side of the table. Sure. 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 Yeah. So it, it's not about that. Clients don't pay clients still pay me for my advice. The difference is in the advice that's given by advisors. Now, again, this is not pigeonholing one advisor. This is looking at the industry as a whole. And when the industry, which is, you know, I don't know, up until probably 2010 and and even still is primarily commission-based, it's slowly moving that way of, of getting to fee only. But when advisors have the ability or are paid on commissions, too many of them chose option, you know, option A is better for the client than option B, but option B makes the advisor more money and too many of them chose option B. So that's why this new realm has come out. And so at my firm, that exact same scenario, if option A is better for you versus option B, we go with option A because there is no commission. It just doesn't matter. And when we start talking about these things, um, you know, I know annuity and, and we'll get into an annuity podcast just on its own, but annuity, oh, it's a gross word. A lot of people have heard terrible things about it. Well, it, I'll be honest, it is, it is something that fits into certain people's portfolio in certain circumstances. Now, it's not for everybody. Definitely is not for everybody. But if, if it would fit into your portfolio, let's walk through the difference between a commission annuity or a fee-only annuity. So a commission annuity, you're going to be locked into that annuity for, on a minimum, let's say five to seven years. Some advisors lock people up even more. I have a client that unfortunately worked with an advisor previously, locked them in for 17 years. Oh, yep. Locked their money up for 17 years. So, but again, let's keep it lower at five to seven years. That 
And then I'm going to say you put $100,000 into it to make it easy math for me. That five to seven year annuity is going to make that advisor roughly $7,000. Yeah. Roughly $7,000. That they're year over the five or five to seven years. Nope. Nope. Uh, it'd either be over the five years or they can get it up front all at one time. Um, again, showing you behind the curtain here, folks. They're going to make that as a commission to sell you that product. Now, you come work with a fee-only company, and if they have the ability to do annuities, which my company does and others do, that are non-commission-based, I don't receive that $7,000. And because the company, the insur- uh, annuity company, is not paying me the $7,000, there's no reason to lock you in for five to seven years because that's why you get locked in. It is the annuity company making sure that they can recoup the money that they paid the advisor if you get out early. Well, since I didn't get paid for it, there is no surrender schedule. You can take the money out in six months if you want. And that's what you know I use with my clients. There are annuities out there that are no commission and have no surrender schedule. So once you know those two things, why would you ever get the exact same product and lock yourself in for seven years when you could have the exact same thing and get out whenever you wanted, right? It's just people don't know these things. And of course, a commission advisor isn't going to tell them that. You got to think of them like car salesmen. You know, They're going to sell you because this is their livelihood. So hopefully these five things as we've walked through them have kind of given you the picture of who you want and who you should be working with. Um, Because again, you on an individual level, this is your life. This is your livelihood. This is your financial future that you need to take responsibility for. And you need to make sure the person you're working with is taking responsibility for and is held to a very high standard and doing the right thing for you. But also as when we get enough clients doing this and moving the direction of this, it's going to help everybody because now advisors will go to that side and now more advisors will become fee only and and that side will drive it, but the consumer has to drive that. So um, again, that's, that's the, the top five. Um, Anything you think that we need to clarify or any other questions that you had while I was going over any of those, Adam? I'll oh, we'll just recap the 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 list here. Number one, are they a salesperson or advisor? Uh, two, do they do financial planning? Three, are they a fiduciary? Four, what is their education expertise? And finally, five, are they fee only? Tanner, is there any red flags or, or questions that can kind of provoke some of these answers um, to find to find the the, the right fit for an advisor client relationship um you, you lay these out here but how how do you go about researching or or getting the answer to some of these questions um yeah i think that that's a really i think that's a really great question and and i i can't can that be done is that all done i know it's different for each question can it be done sure. before the introductory meeting or does that have to be done you know face to face during during a normal process of, of finding sure, that. Sure. Yeah. So, so two parts that I'll, I'll answer the second part. 
um, first. So can it be done ahead of time? Some of them can. Um, you know, you can, the education expertise, you can look up, you know, because obviously you know who you're going to be meeting with or who, who runs a firm. So you'll have had their business card or been able to go to their website or whomever. Um, and, and you'll be able to see what letters are behind their name. You can look that up ahead of time and see what, what, it, what do those letters stand for? What's the requirement it took to get this? Was it a weekend certification? Was it, you know, three years worth of studying and a really long test? Um, you know, what, what, what is that? So those are things you can find out ahead of time. Um, sometimes from the, um, from the website, you can find out if they do financial planning, but again, a lot of advisors claim that they do financial planning. So that's one that you kind of have to dig in and ask more in-depth questions about those six topic areas and see their level, you know, see, see what, what a mock financial plan looks like, get, have them give you, you know, an example of one, um, Try to think, looking through the rest of the list. Uh, again, if if they're fee only, I I would very very highly uh, think that they would have that listed on their website because that's not something that a lot of firms are. It's a very very vast majority are fee only. Like my firm, we have that on the firm on the pit website right from the start, so that people can see that because that's something we're proud of. And so if you see that on the website, um, you know, that's one you could, you could kind of find out ahead of time. If it's not on there, probably aren't a fee only firm. Um, and then to answer your second, uh, I guess it'd be the first question of like what red flags or questions to ask. I think really everything we've gone through in this podcast are the questions to ask. Those are the things to talk to, you know, the advisor about and the red flags aren't going to be what is said it's what's not said um if they want to sweep it under the rug of the difference between commissions and and an advisor between a salesperson and an advisor you know oh well we receive commissions and they want to sweep it under the rug or make no 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 like that that's important make sure you you take a note of that if they say they do financial planning but they won't give you a financial plan for you to review to actually see if they go through all the six things in depth that's a red flag you know th- those are the keys i i think if you go in and should, oh, go ahead adam should money money shouldn't be transferred no matter what first no 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 no, no paperwork no nothing type of sleep yes, on it type yes. of thing Oh, for sure. Always, always, always interview with the advisor first and then go home and think about it. I do not let clients sign paperwork in our first meeting. I always tell them, go home and think about it. This is an important decision, you know, because I am expecting a client to have a very long term relationship with me. So, this is something I need to make sure they're a good fit with me and they need to make sure they're a good fit. that I'm a good fit for them. And that's maybe they have, you know, the honeymoon phase and everything's great while we're in the meeting. Maybe they go home and think about it. Like, ah, you know, we, we like this other person better. Okay. You know, I I hope I wish you well. Um, but always, always take time. And if it's a high pressure and they want you to sign right then and there before you leave, well, guess what? We're going back to number one and their salesperson, not an advisor. (laughs) Right. 
So if you follow all five of these, again, it's going to be, and you ask the questions and you just see how they present it, it, you will find out tons of information about them. And, and the information they don't provide is all, like I said, those are a lot of the red flags. If they're not willing to give you a financial plan, if they're not want to sweep it under the rug, oh yeah, yeah. My, um, you know, my alphabet suit behind my name is the same as a CFP. No, 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 no. I, I've heard that stated. No, I've heard people who just have insurance licenses state, well, I can't call myself a financial advisor, so I call myself a financial expert, but it's, it's basically the same thing. No, it's not. That is like the equivalent of, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, the person, you know, the janitor of the hospital calling themselves a doctor. It is not the same thing. Like there's a reason that certain people are allowed to have certain initials behind their names and other people are not. So find out what all those are. And, and again, if they're very dismissive of it, that's the biggest thing. Um, and, and, and same with fees. If someone, you know, that's not on the list, but you know, if someone doesn't want to tell you what your fees are, that's usually not a good sign either. You know, that everything should be, and I know we talked about this in the previous episode, but everyone, everything should be transparent. And if they're withholding information or don't want to give it to you or try to minimize something that's important, that's on this list of five, I, I would, I'd keep looking. Speaking of tra- uh, transparency, just quickly, I know we're getting to the end of this, but yeah. Um, how often should you be in contact with your advisor? I mean, what's that give and take relationship or what, what, how, how often do I hear from you? Sure. Yeah. Um, Then again, uh, that'll be, we'll we'll go over that in more detail in a later podcast, but just real quick, uh, that's really up to you. Um, And it's up to you and your advisor, I guess I will say. Um, I can only speak for my firm's side of things. I have certain clients that only want to meet once a year. They say, you know, Tanner, I know you're doing a great job. Um, that finances isn't really my thing. I like the financial plan you've created for us. We're on a good track. You know, you're doing a good job. Let's just meet every once a year as a review. And, you know, if, if something terrible comes up, let me know, basically, you know. Um, and I have other clients who are much more hands-on and they want to meet, you know, quarterly. So again, I think that that's something where that, that needs to be negotiated between you and your advisor on what suits you, but I mean, also what suits your advisor too. Um, you know, again, you're, they're taking you on as a client. So it's a relationship. So, um, you know, I, I, I think probably perfect world is, you know, semi-annually for most people. Um, a year gets a little long for most. Four times a year gets a little much for most. Um, and I would say that that's where the majority falls, um, you know, two times a year. But again, that that's up to you individually and your advisor. A lot of good information. A lot of good well, information so. to, <laughs> to consider as you as you're you're finding your advisor and, and seeking out all that information. So um again, once again, re recapping the, the list questions to remind yourself, are they a salesperson? Do they do financial planning? 
What's their education? Are they fiduciary and are they fee only? Some of the things to consider as you're seeking out a financial advisor. Yeah. And uh, I think that that wraps up this episode. So we hope you enjoyed it and hope that it's been helpful. And as always, thank you for listening. If you haven't yet, please like, subscribe, and leave us a review. We're committed to continuously providing the most accurate and relevant content to our listeners. So if you have any questions or suggestions, shoot us an email at podcast at financiallysharp.com. Again, that's podcast at financiallysharp.com. See you in the next episode. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. This podcast does not engage in rendering legal, tax, financial, or other professional services. Investment advisory services are offered through Harmony Wealth, a registered investment advisor authorized to do business in states where registered or otherwise exempt from registration. If you have questions pertaining to your specific situation, please contact Harmony Wealth at 602-935-5155 or at HarmonyWealthAZ.com. 